It's all because of Jesus, isn't it? You've been called for out of darkness into light. You, have, you were once dead in your sins. Now you're alive to God in Jesus Christ. It's all because of Jesus. And as we've been continuing this series in the book of Ephesians, we've been called out of darkness into light. Some of us have put our faith in Christ and we're called out of that. We're no longer in darkness. And Paul, over the last few weeks, has been calling us into living as children of light, walking in love, no longer um, in darkness. And so today, as we go to God's word in Ephesians chapter five, we're going to be called out of sexual immorality into sexual integrity. And, you know, as always, uh, this is not usually spoken about in churches. We don't talk about sex in a place like this. The reality is it's the elephant in the living room. It really is. And as we talked about finances for six weeks and what it looks like to really recognize God's ownership of everything in your lives, we want to give you freedom in this area because this is eating our lunch. As a pastor and in the counseling that I do, there's a ton of issues around sexual immorality that we deal with here. And I've realized that the numbers outside of the church are not too different than the numbers inside of a church. So it's something about us that we come here and we dress up and we look pretty good. But then we go out there and we live very, very differently. And the issues of the world are very much the issues in our lives. This is something that affects us all. It's not just a guy thing. It's a girl thing. And we want to address it very, very courageously, very boldly, but also with grace. And that's what the word of God gives us today. It gives us truth and grace. So as we address this issue of sexual immorality and get try to listen to God's call, I want to direct you to an image. It's an image by the movie Forrest Gump. And it's an image of what could happen. What could happen in our lives on this scene called Run, Forrest, Run. Do you remember it? Take a look at it. Run away, Forrest. Run, Forrest! Run away! Hurry! Get the bikes! Hurry up! Let's get it! Come on! Look out, Dummy! Here we come! Get you! Run, Forrest! Run! Run, Forrest! We're back to you!
Run, Forrest, run. That's the image I want to give you. As Paul says, not only in this passage that we're reading, but in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, flee sexual immorality. It's a picture of this. Lust is a huge bully in our lives. And even the, the own brokenness within and our lack of relationship and our, our shortcuts to relationships can cripple us. And we can actually think, this is how I am. But the word of God comes to us today and says, no, this is no longer who you are. Now run, run with the Lord, run in the light, run in love. Let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter five, beginning with verse one. It says this, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure Or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Just pause there. See that? Paul gives this, bookends it, and he says, walk in love, and he ends it with walk in light. When we practice sexual integrity in our lives, we will do that. We will live a life of love, and we will shine light. We will be light in a dark world. And folks, this is killing us. This is killing us. Many people in our world are seeking sexual satisfaction. And to quote the profound theologian Mick Jagger, who said, I can't get no satisfaction. And it's not a lack of him trying, because he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he could get no. In 1965, when... uh, Keith Richards wrote that song, which made, by the way, the Stones. It made them famous in the United States. They actually wrote that song as an indictment against American culture, against the consumerism, against the corporate structures, and against the sexual promiscuity of the 60s. Isn't it interesting how they themselves became prophets fulfilled? Because if you were to look at which group epitomizes the corporate structure, decadence, the drug usage, and sex, you would find the Rolling Stones. They were prophets without even knowing it. See, the the reality about it is what the Word of God is going to call us into is that love is far more satisfying than lust. Love is far more satisfying than lust. As I look at our world, the number three most trafficked Internet site is a porn site. It receives 350 million unique visitors a a month. A month, folks. Only Google and Facebook beat it out. This is a prolific issue. The number one people group that visit it are boys ages 11 to 17. 
you have grandsons that are that age? Do you have children that age? Are you that age? See, this is eating our lunch and it's killing us. It's not just extramarital affairs or premarital affairs. This is life right now. We are buying into the lie that you can be that life, that life is all about sexual fulfillment. And the word of God is going to come us, come to us and he's going to change what we know. It's going to change even what we say. It's going to challenge us to live differently in this area. And you know, I honestly believe you won't change and neither will I until we really believe that love is far more satisfying than lust. You see, lust may give and fulfill and gratify, but it does not give and fulfill true satisfaction in your life. That's meant to be filled and completed only in Christ. And so this passage is going to give us five satisfying proofs of why love is better than lust. And you will and I will only change if we really not just believe them, but then obey these principles that God has for us in this passage. Let's look at the first one. It's in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter five. The satisfying proof number one is this love reflects sacrifice. Lust reflects selfishness. Look at what Paul writes. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Love is just coming. You're loved. You're loved by God. And now walk in love because you're following your heavenly father and, and love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. See sacrifice there. He didn't come and say, love me. He gave himself up to love us. And, and it pleased God because Paul says it was a fragrant offering and it was a sacrifice to God. Jesus offered his life up. It's the greatest demonstration of love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself for our sins. That's the picture. Love shows sacrifice. Lust, on the other hand, shows selfishness. Love is the giving up of yourself. For someone else. Lust is the getting from someone to satisfy self. Love pursues then to give yourself to people. Lust pursues to get. And that's why one of the greatest pictures to help us out of and the greatest words to call us out of sexual immorality is the fruit of the spirit called self-control. Because being a someone who's now in the light and someone who believes in Jesus, we've been given the Holy Spirit to reap the fruit of self-control in our lives. And self-control says no to sexual immorality. Self-control flees those moments where you're vulnerable to falling in this area. And that's why your capacity to love is very much dictated by your capacity to say no. I kind of get a kick out of it when someone says, well, he's forcing me to have sex with him. And I say, well, why can't you say no? Well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. And it will really mess up our, our night if I say no. And he pouts. Sometimes he pouts for days. And I don't like it when he pouts. I've got to live with that. I go, do you realize that when you commit deeper with this person, it's only going to be worse? Do you realize that your inability to say no is going to limit you and limit him? Do you know his incapacity to take no for an answer is going to hurt you a whole lot deeper in marriage? 
See, we come to the marriage altar and we, we want the pastor to be there and we want all our friends to be there. And, and when the pastor says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, we have this image that some fairy from heaven is going to come down and go, you're now both very mature and you can practice self-control. This is the exact opposite that happens. What's whispering to you when you're dating screams at you when you're married. If he can't tell the truth before you get married, if he deceives you before you get married, do you think the little fairy of truth at your wedding is going to come around you and he's going to be a man of integrity? No. If she can't spend within a budget and she's constantly in debt and over, do you think a little fairy at your wedding is going to make her suddenly disciplined to spending on a budget? No, no, it's going to scream at you. So the greatest predictor of the future is the present, is the present. If he can't take no for an answer before marriage, and he can't keep his sexual urges intact with the help from God under self-control by the Holy Spirit, you will struggle with that inside your marriage, and it will hurt you far more profoundly than when you're dating. See, love reflects sacrifice. Love can handle no for a greater blessing from God. We've got to realize that love reflects that sacrifice. Love is not an emotion. It's not a junior high thing that when the wind changes, and I don't feel that way saying, love is a commitment. It's a commitment to love, to sacrifice, To give yourself up. Folks, when I give myself up, when I sacrifice for people, everyone wins. The people I sacrifice, they benefit from it. The people around them benefit from it. I benefit from it because I see more of Christ's sacrifice for me. When I get something selfishly, guess who wins? Me. See, people have to, people have to give up something for me to benefit when it's selfishness. Sometimes people compromise. Because I can't practice self-control. See, love reflects that sacrifice. Lust reflects selfishness. Secondly, it's uh, take a look at verse 4. A satisfying proof number 2 is this. Love builds dignity. Lust breeds discontent. Look what Paul calls this into. He says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Why? Because it's... These are these are things you do when you're in the dark. Now you're in light. These are things you do when you lust. Now you're in God's love. Lust breeds discontent. That word of thanksgiving. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. See, that's sex is God's idea. It wasn't our idea. In the garden, God gave this gift of sex to Adam and Eve to practice and to experience pleasure. And experience reproducing also. But it was a joy. It was a gift. This was God's idea. We stepped away from God. We took it for our own lustful desires. God is all about restoring it back. He's about restoring us sexually as he restores us spiritually. So he's going to call us into dignity with sex. And therefore, he's called one man and one woman inside of a lifelong commitment called marriage in which he says, now, now, here is the gift. It's the gift. And it's for one person. Our world says, no, you got to experiment 
because you need to be compatible sexually with the other person because something, I mean, really, come on, think with me. Really, we're concerned about being inexperienced on our wedding nights. We're concerned that, oh, she won't measure up to my desire once we marry her. Get out. This is not love. This is lust. The word of God says it's okay to fumble, to be inexperienced on your wedding night. If you read the song of Solomon, you will see a couple who are like, what do we do here? What? Wow, this is awesome here. God's word says go once you're committed. But know this person, know their character, commit to them for the rest of your life, and then share. Then share yourself. Give them honor by saving yourself. Give them dignity, not for, not for treating them as an object. See, that's what porn does. Porn strips away dignity. It's one of the worst things. You think about that. 12 to 18 year old boys, before they even can talk to a girl, let alone text a girl, they're looking at women with nothing on and calling that intimacy. And therefore, every time they look at a woman, they strip her down to nothing but an object that they compare and they contrast and they stack. And women have learned to take a luster and to control them and to be empowered with sex. See, it strips away the dignity that God has created us to have. It strips away that male and female were created in the image of God. And we as God's image bearers are called to restore that dignity. It's not just a racial thing. It's a sexual thing. How I treat a woman shows the love of God. How I treat everyone in this world shows the love of God. And when we're going to be driven by lust, we strip that dignity. And we lose discontentment. When you go and you share your body with every person in the world or every person who takes an interest in you or casually, whoever, you know, you can get in bed with because they're giving you attention. You strip that dignity from yourself. We're going to talk about this in just a little bit. But you also strip the dignity God has given that other person. That's the picture this scripture is given. The, the most, it, it's... The things we talk about either build or destroy relationships. Paul's going to say, don't even, it's out of place. Crude joking, foolish talk, filthiness. Is it no wonder that some of the most popular comedians in our culture right now laugh at sex? Most of their material is around sex. It strips the dignity around how God has created to be. Sex was not made for comparing. But there's something about us. You will go home and you will probably forget these points, but you will not forget any partner you've slept with. Something about it. It's a powerful, sometimes crippling force in your lives. The word of God is calling you out. Love builds dignity. The third point is found in verse 5. Love receives God's blessing. Lust robs me of it. Look at verse 5. It says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. On first glance, it would seem to give that if you struggle with lust, you're not a Christian. 
But I'm sorry, that's not what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying is that, is that, uh, these are the acts of darkness. And we can come here and we can learn this. We can say this is truth. But if we go out and practice it, we're living more like a practical atheist. And those who have rejected Christ live like this. Those who say, oh, I mean, the Bible is far too strict sexually. This is who I am. This is my holy. And they cast off God in their lives. They will receive. If they cast off God and his instruction in their lives, they will not receive this inheritance that Paul had talked about, that we have through Christ. No inheritance. That's God's blessing. That's God's blessing. Lust robs me of that. Paul shares a glimpse of what life was like before Christ, the old way. And in Ephesus, he he showed that the God of Artemis, the uh, God of Diana, the basically the sex God in that city with that temple, with prostitutes. This was very much in their culture, just like porn is in our culture today. Paul was saying, stop, that's not light. That's not love. Receive God's blessing. Live in God's freedom and blessing with this. You want a life sexually without regrets. And some of you may need to turn from the way you're living right now so that you can start receiving God's blessing in your life. Wherever you are, it's never too late to start receiving God's blessing. Oh, but Joe, you don't know. I mean, I feel guilt and shame. Of course you do. But something about it, when you start walking with God, that guilt and shame is taken through the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. And I'm here to say that all of us, no matter where we are on this topic, can experience the blessing of God if we're willing to follow him. Don't be robbed of it. Even think about the blessing in the future, in the future, which is the fourth satisfying proof. Love expects a future. Lust exploits the present. Look what Paul says in verse six. He kind of builds on it. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's talking about a time where God, where God will judge all sin, not just sinners. See, with Jesus, we're protected from the wrath of God. With Jesus, we're no longer judged because Jesus on the cross was judged for us. He experienced the wrath of God. His death means total payment for our sin. Someday God will judge all wrong and make them right. Someday, even sexual immorality and the author of sexual immorality, Satan himself, will be judged. And all those who followed him will be judged as sons of disobedience. But we are children of obedience. We're to walk in the light. We're to obey. And Paul says, look look at that future. Look at the future of what self-control can do for you right now. Look at a life without the guilt and shame of you being stripped from your dignity, stripped from your identity in Christ. You know, look at that and think with me. It, it seems that love waits to give where lust can't wait to get which is why we don't like to wait with it. But when we look at God's call to find that person and to get to know that person and to walk with that person and see who they really are, their character and integrity, and then commit within marriage, we think God is so restrictive in this. Let me just say this. 
the whole picture of faith is based on your expectation for the future. That's why first, first believers, the New Testament saints, were willing to be sawed into, fed to lions, and burned at the stake for their faith. Now, if someone came up to you and said, will you recant Jesus? Will you, will you turn from him, deny your faith, or I'll arrest you? I'll saw you in two. I'll shoot you or I'll burn you at the stake. How many of you would say, I will not recant Jesus? And you don't have to put up your hands right now. My prayer is that you would say, me. I hope that if that ever happened in my life, I'd be willing to say, no, I am going to, I will not recant my faith. I trust in Jesus. Then why is it if we'll go that far, do we give up so easily in the area of sex? Why do we, why do we just give up the present and give up the future to gratify our desires? Why won't we stand for him around the bed if we'll die for him with persecution? See, this is all a picture. Love always expects the future. It's called hope. And when you put your hope in God, even in your area of sexuality, God always blesses that. God always comes through. There will be, there will not be a time in the future where you obey Christ, where he does not fulfill you in the future. This stuff works. But you move towards being a luster. And I can tell you, I can line up the line of all my counseling. I can even line up the line of my own life. And you'll see, boy, I wish that wouldn't have happened. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have thought that. I wish I wouldn't have said that. There's loads of regrets when we exploit the present. See, most of our, all of our lives are best when we're, when long-term values, when long-term uh, passions are driving the short-term. And God has a long-term perspective in sex. Finally, satisfying proof number five is this. It's love reveals my identity. Lust blinds me to it. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. That was your identity. You were darkness. It's interesting. In previous times, Paul has said you were in darkness. Here he says you were darkness. But now look what it says. But now you are light. That's your identity. You're light. Just like Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. It's because we're light. Therefore, walk as children of light. Love reveals my identity. Lust blinds me to it. That's why it's really important to know that your primary primary identity is not sexual. A luster always thinks their primary identity is sexual. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. Your primary identity is spiritual. That's how God has always seen you. That's how God relates to you first. You are a sexual being. It's not like you're not. You are. It's but that you're first known spiritually. That spiritual part of you will last forever. It's the eternal part of you. And it's the part. And therefore, the greatest relationship in your life is your relationship with Jesus. The greatest relationship for all other relationships are your relationship with Jesus. 
Because when you realize how much Jesus loves you and how Jesus has made you a child of God through his work on the cross and how Jesus teaches you how to love, when you love, you will love others like Jesus loves you. See, I'm a better man because Jesus loves me and I'm learning to love others because of him. I'm a better husband because Jesus is teaching me how to love and sacrifice for my wife. I'm a better father who doesn't worship his kids anymore but worships God and leads my children with love. I'm a better pastor because of the love of God in my life who is patient, who is kind, who is good, who has grace and who's merciful, who's also truthful and just and right. See, that's my identity. I'm a child of God. And if you believe you're a child of God also, live as light, not as darkness and lust moves you into du- into darkness. It objectifies a person. Like a car, it depreciates the, the perception of value. So that the more you have sex outside of marriage, the less special you feel you are. Is it any wonder that, especially in high school, when a girl sleeps around, all the guys know it. All the guys know it. And what do the guys do? They pursue her. Why? Because she will sleep with me. That's become her identity. Isn't, if she were your daughter, wouldn't your heart just break? If he were your son, wouldn't your heart just cry out? That we've objectified people to be nothing more than others to satisfy our desires. See, it strips them of their identity, their God-given identity. You are worth far more and we're created for far more than just lust. You are loved and you can love. You've been made to love. So therefore run, run from lust and run in love. Lust limits your life. It cripples you. It bullies you. Remember the picture? Love liberates you. Love is far more satisfying than lust. I want to just show you again, just take a look at this slide here. It shows us what Paul is calling us into because every direction has a destination. There's two directions, the direction of darkness or here, lust, or the direction of love. When we go in darkness and we go dark in our area of sex, we become more selfish. We become more discontent with life and with people. We become robbed of the blessing that God wants to give us. We exploit the present and we exploit people in our present. And we're blinded to the reality of God. But when we make that direction to move towards love, when we call out and we now become light, we're light. He calls us it. Walk as a child of light. We start realizing the beauty of a sacrificial, selfless love. It's not all about us. We start receiving dignity from God and giving dignity to people. We, we receive the blessing of God. We're expectant for the future, not depressed in the present. And we're very aware. We're very aware of, of the decisions we're making today. And the picture of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Folks, I want this for every one of you. 
As I was driving to church this morning, I was just pleading to God, God, if we could all get our minds around this and really trust you in the area of how we love and how we base our relationships, if we would just follow you, you would transform us. That's what I want for everyone here. Everyone, no matter where you're at. And I'll be honest with you, no other sin has so profoundly affected my life and the people I love and the men I've looked up to and the men who've been my friends in the area of sexual immorality. This has taken men far better than me. And it's ate their lunch and it bullied them and crippled them in ministry, in their marriage, in life. And... We can't not talk about it. And in the same way that we can't not talk about it, which means we should talk about it, we can't afford to keep walking in lust. So whatever it takes, guys, whatever it takes, women, run from it. Don't bolster your life on this. You are far more valuable than an object for someone else's desires. You are meant to reflect the glory of God, to shine the greatness of God in every area of our lives, to base your life on love, to base sex on committed love inside of marriage. God has a far better future for us if we'd simply follow him. So are you willing to follow him on this one? Are you willing to take steps away from sexual immorality and into sexual integrity? This is what the word of God is calling us to. What direction? Are you following? There will be a destination. Hope in a future or death and despair. Would you just bow your heads as we close our time right now? And as you bow your heads, just wherever you're at on this topic, if you aren't struggling with lust, but you, you have grandchildren, you know they're struggling. Would you just pray for them right now by name? If you have children who are dealing with this, if you're dealing with this, would you just confess to God? God, sadly, I have not lived for love. I have lived for lust. And it has not built me in your love. Just confess that to him. God, God is humble and open to those who are humble. He gives grace to the humble. Just confess it to him. Confess the hurt that maybe you've caused people around you because of this. Confess the lost opportunities. Confess even your own brokenness and the pain that's been a result of sexual immorality in your life. Just confess it to him. We need him. And let's pray now. Heavenly Father, I just commit everyone in here who's been humble on this topic that... Your Holy Spirit, as we preach the word, as it goes into the lives, that, Lord, it's power. It really, as we follow you, you strip us of the things that cripple us so that we can walk in your freedom. We confess the sin of sexual immorality as your church, and we choose sexual integrity. We, we know that you're the most important relationship in our lives, so restore that relationship in us. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you teach us how to love. We now make you our teacher. You're our guide. You're our mentor in love. Help us to be people of sacrifice, not selfishness. Help us to give dignity, not to be discontent. 
Lord, we trust you. We, your church, follow you today. Father, as we sing this song, may this be the expression of being a family of love. That as we sing about your love right now, may you move in our hearts. May, may we commit to love and may we turn from lust. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?